time Drugs started and they released this album, you were pretty much completely checked out on the scene. And I've always found it interesting how you were a fan of this record. Where did it even come from for you? Yes, I did not care about the scene at the time that this came out. Um, I was like exclusively listening to like old Rancid albums <laughs> uh, and Alkaline Trio. But uh, yeah, somebody in my life I guess it was right before I started working at AP, so it would have been like around 2015. Was a fan and played some songs, and I like thought they had like were really good, catchy songs. Before I realized, like it took a while for me to make the connection of what the lyrics were. And once I like listened to the lyrics, I was like, okay, like maybe not. So in my head, it's just like, yeah, these are bangers, but also like they're kind of st- I don't want to say stupid. Yeah, I do. They're stupid. <laughs> So were you around for the rollout of any of it? Like the post, you know, Chiodos hype or anything like that? No, so I didn't, I like didn't, I don't remember them forming. I don't remember the super group happening. But Uh the reason, actually the reason that I was the most interested is because I heard a song and I was like, oh, this is catchy. Like, what is this? And then when it was like, oh, Matt Good. I loved Matt Good. Like when Mm. I was um, like fifth, like, I don't know, like a sophomore in high school, I guess. Like was super into from first to last. And Matt Good was like my childhood like crush. So I was like, oh, I'm interested. I'd like to see it. <laughs> I'd like to see it. What is Matt Good doing now? <laughs> That's so crazy that you still got into it and weren't around for any of that. I mean, into it is like I feel like going a little too far. Like I wasn't like listening to full albums straight through. But I was like, these songs are sick. But again, like I always when I what's the the what does he say before the breakdown and um and if you think this song is about you it probably is it's like i knew you were gonna sleep with him as soon as i left (laughs) like that was my first red flag where i was like that's like that's a weird thing to say in a song maybe chill welcome back to the scene right i know and then once you go through and like actually pick out some other lyrics it gets worse I guess so Mm -hmm. I mean there's always a little bit of like eh, with a grain of salt but I mean the songs themselves like musically bangers shout out to John Feldman for writing that whole record thank you again John (laughs) Feldman it's just a it's it's a very crazy story and the scene didn't really see anything like that through its second half Drugs was basically made by Pete Wentz and signed to his label and they he kind of built the band around Craig and for Craig and they recorded a kick-ass post-hardcore album with a shit ton of melody and a lot of electronic influence into it and they did I can't remember exactly what they did first week I don't have it in my notes but it was somewhere around 17,000 which was you know impressive for a debut album but considering what Chiodos was coming off of when Craig was still in the band the Bone Palace ballet cycle was just absolutely ridiculous they were getting radio play off of Lexington Craig was the biggest figure in the scene at that point and I remember one time Matt was telling me, they I think they played a one-off date on Warp Tour in 2009 in Grand Rapids, like their hometown kind of show for Warp Tour that summer. And he was on the barricade. And he said, you literally couldn't hear the band over how many girls were screaming. Yeah, that's. I think that was like one. So again, I missed a big portion of like I wasn't in the trenches during that time. I just like completely bypassed it. So in my head, I'm like, do people really love this dude that much? And yes, they did. Yeah, they really did. It was insane how much Chiodos blew up and Craig blew up as a, a scene star. But I know? do remember Chiodos being big. Like they were big enough that like yeah, I, I mean, that. they were opening up for Fallout Boy on one tour towards, like, I don't remember if that was on the All's Well cycle or the Bone Palace cycle, but there was a time where they were the biggest band in the scene, and that was wild to watch. But, so, fast forward, basically, you know, nine years later, and everything kind of fell apart around Craig, and the scene fell apart, and it's a completely different world now. So, on February 18th, we published a piece called What the Hell Happened to Craig Owens. And it's my favorite piece that I've been a part of in a long time and as far as an editorial sense because it just documents it's 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 a historical document of, 
you know, what happened to these people. I remember I ran a story with a very similar title when I was still at AP, basically just that just said what happened to 303, because I think it was in 2015 or 2016, I think it was in 2015. At that point, they were one of those bands who were massive and no one had heard of them for, you know, three or four years at that point. And of course, Matt got an email later in that day from their manager, completely pissed off. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. So when Tyler want, brought this up and wanted to do it, like he brought it up as he wanted to do it for a bunch of different people or like bands. And I was kind of like, oh God, only because I knew that people would get mad at it, even though it's not negative at all. Like this wasn't meant to be like a Craig Owens takedown piece. It's not a teardown. Like, it, it's literally just like, here's how his career unfolded. Like, here's what happened. Let's take a look at it. Maybe figure out why it wasn't, he's not as popular now as he used to be because he was so big. And right. it's not even a negative, like that was a time in like popular culture where this type of music was popular. So would I expect Craig Owens to be as popular now as I did then? Absolutely not. Like you're not freaking Lizzo or Billie Eilish. Like thank God they are like the opposite of what was popular at that point, which the world needed to skew that far that way. Um, everyone take I it, this in this scene. Everyone takes everything so personally and you're just like you're being mean or you're being a bully if you want to bring up things that are facts that maybe aren't showing someone in their best light right. but it's like you have to you can't just ignore the the right. parts of your career that weren't great they right. happened they're here and if you're happy making r&b music with like releasing it to your fans and you still have people that care about you like cool fine you just want to make music like that's your prerogative but you can't exist in a vacuum where no one can criticize it because that's mean right everything is not awesome 100 percent of the time and sometimes the truth fucking hurts and that's all kind of note to scene has always been it's just a documentarian type of space where we can talk about what the hell happened because we don't have any of this anymore <laughs> right and it's like it's not even like you could you like you just said it, it and everything's not awesome all the time and like it's not even saying whether or not his his new stuff is sure. good or bad it's literally just taking a look at the popularity and the number of people streaming it and compared to what the people that were listening to Chiodos or drugs. Like, it's not good or bad. Just, it is what it is. It's literally just speaking facts. That's all that piece is, and we're going to keep running them, and that's all they're going to be. And it's, people think like, oh, you're just trying to point out the negative. And it, no, we're not just trying to point out the negative. We're trying to look at a career trajectory. And like, yes, it may have a little bit of a snarky tone to it. That's, it, this it's is called rock a voice. and roll. Yeah, this is rock and roll. <laughs> like, deal with it. People are allowed to have opinions. Everyone's not being mean. I don't know how we got to this point where... Well, I do know how we got to this point, actually. We built a music scene around men whining about what everyone does to them and how they are the victims. And this girl broke my heart and I'm sad and feel bad for me. They've never, like, they've never done anything wrong in their lives. Where, like, even if you're in a relationship, like and someone treats you terribly, you can look back on it at the things that you did that allowed that to happen or be the way that it was. And this scene is not, like Matt said, they're not going out gracefully and they are not trying to be self-reflective and look at like maybe what they could have done differently to not have these events occur that made them quote sad. Exactly. So that's why we ran that piece and that's what note to scene is we're here to unpack all of this and we've always been about trajectory and momentum and the commercial side of things ever since matt and i started it that's why we started it and honestly we didn't expect i definitely didn't expect anyone to listen to us but it is funny to me how much a small website and podcast <laughs> can have as far as impact-wise on uh, some of these people in, that still exist in the scene. So Craig brought back drugs. He released a song called King I Am on February 25th. We published that article on February 18th. We're not saying we brought back drugs. No, but not at all. But the timing is interesting. He commented on our Facebook page just saying, I'm right here. 
And later that day when we posted the article, he tweeted, trying to find a way to tell my story so they trops trying to tell it for me. (laughs) Again, this was not like the Craig Owens life story. It was literally just, here's the things that he has done since drugs and why maybe they haven't done as well and what fans expect and want out of him, which is a heavy return, which drugs came back, so. (laughs) (laughs) Funny how that worked. So it's so interesting how the internet fosters this kind of group rage think, but you see it in every Yeah, the scene's not special. Craig Owens isn't special. I'm not saying (laughs) that came out sounding worse, but he is not like a a particular case where no one, like this happens in every genre, not like beyond music. It happens in comedy and like sports and everything. Every space in the entertainment world this happens and definitely elsewhere look at politics so he dropped a song called king i am it's produced by uh this man don't know how i'm pronouncing his first name but it might be hiram hiram hernandez which is interesting because this is the same guy that uh craig dropped a kind of lucy surprise grindcore ep in 2016 that was super heavy and got picked up by all the all the metal blogs lamb goat metal sucks and it's just this ridiculously heavy four song EP where the songs are like, you know, a couple minutes long. He made each it in his bedroom. Made it in his bedroom. And it was just like this fun one off thing. It's called Beast. Empathy is a gift. But he worked with this guy on that. And um, apparently he's going to be producing the rest of whatever this drugs album is, which he also confirmed in these interviews. So first off, as we do on Note to Scene, let's just talk about the song. Mm. What do you think? I think it's a good song. It's a it's a demo, right? Like they're going to release another version of it. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to hear that. I feel like it goes like, a little bit all over the place. There's like one part in the middle or towards the end that's just like more electronic but just like I don't, it feels like it didn't doesn't really fit in there or like it mm-hmm. didn't really like I, yeah it just kind of felt like plopped in mm-hmm. so i'm interested to hear i guess what what the actual version sounds like but like it's a good song like it it's got like a pretty good hook yeah i felt like it was a okay post-hardcore song in 2020 mm. it has a lot of that same you can tell he was trying to reach back into the electronic elements of the first drugs album and bring a little bit of that back with some of that which you I know feel radio like is a rock ready song like... yeah yeah i mean it's he's obviously not trying to make drugs bigger than they were before no. he's trying it's a <laughs> it's fan like, service we live in a world where that's not <laughs> Happening. So fan service right. is what. But he didn't say, you know, he he could have been like, "This is drugs in 2020" and released a pop song. You that know, I feel like that would have not been a good move. <laughs> no, not at all. But he <laughs> could have done been it. Stupid. <laughs> he he could have done it, and I don't put it past any scene bros you're, you're these right. days. Like, <laughs> okay, I see what you're saying. Like, right, that right. could have been what we got, and it right. would have been like, why? Right. Yeah. But instead, instead, yeah, he did the fan service. Which... We got a bit of a return to form for Craig, which is literally. You know, what everyone wants at this point. But he did an interview with Brian Leake. So Brian and Rabob and I kind of go back a little ways. Brian used to write at Alternative Press when we all worked at Alternative Press, too. And he, you know, he has a long history writing for scene blogs. And um, he's kind of progressed his writing career uh, beyond all of that into Billboard and Forbes, which is where the song premiered. And... He did an interview with Craig, and the first question in the interview, uh, I'm just going to read it word for word. The question is, there's been some negativity directed at you lately related to your prominence in music compared to maybe where you were during your time with Chiodos and Drugs. What effect has that had on you? Craig says... I try my best to detach myself from negative comments. Over time, I've learned how to channel my responses and that kind of energy into music, but I'd be lying if it didn't say it hurt my feelings. I guess it just adds a little bit to the depression that I have. So the best way for me to combat that is to create music, and I try not to let that negativity linger because I know the longer I hold on to it and dwell on it, the more it's only going to hurt me. Deep breath before we unpack this. I want to begin by saying the word negativity was used so much, and I just, no. That's not, again, like, that's not what the point of this was. And you can't just ignore bad things. Like, in your life, if you just try to ignore everything that's bad that happens or things that make you feel bad and just push them down... 
Like, everybody has things that make them feel sad. The truth mm-hmm. hurts sometimes. It mm-hmm. just does. But that doesn't mean that no one should speak it. <laughs> right, exactly. You can't look at one thing and not the other. And Craig Owens, regardless of where he stands in 2020 versus 2010, is still a public figure. And, and still mattered enough for us to take a look back and document what his career has been. Like, that's not negative. It's documentation. It's not a teardown. <laughs> and for him to to say and bring up his depression and how that ties into that, I'm not here to talk about, you know, how people should feel and what they should feel and tell them any way to do it. I just think that this answer was complete bullshit. And I know Craig and I, you know, used to talk to him back in the day and we, we we weren't close, we weren't best friends, but we were somewhat of acquaintances and I know how his mind works and I know how he navigates things. And I, when I was talking to him during that time, it was already on his way out of his, you know, peak as far as scene stardom goes. And I, that sort of emotional manipulation of playing the victim all the time is complete bullshit to me. I don't know Craig Owens at all. Um, I think I maybe met him one time. I mean, I don't ever want to do anything. Like, I don't ever go into anything intentionally trying to make someone feel bad or, like, take any joy in that. So I'll just say that. But I do think that... I'm not even going to say Craig. I'm just going to say I think that in this particular little world, that that is something that comes up a lot and feels I don't want to say yeah I do I guess yeah disingenuous where it's just like I I don't know like I've dealt you've dealt we've all dealt with people it everyone deals with shit everyone you know suffers from different like depression anxiety like those are real things that people deal with on a daily basis everyone and I'm not saying that he's not depressed like again it's something that a lot of people deal with but I think the the part of progression in in dealing with that that people typically forget is that when you treat other people poorly because of your own issues, it doesn't mean that you don't have to acknowledge specifically what you've done or apologize for the things that you've done. Right. You don't just say like, sorry, I was going through a really shitty time, I was depressed, or like, sorry that I flipped out on you, like my anxiety just really came up and like I lost it. Like... You have to be specific with people about like the things that you do or say and apologize if you're actually going to try and be a better person. Right. Not just use it as an excuse of like... Exactly. And again, not talking about Craig, just speaking in, in general. general. In general, you can't use, you know, your own personal demons as a catch-all excuse for being a shitty person. Right. That's that's <laughs> it. That's all I'm trying to say. Again, not related to him, not related to anyone specific, but just something that I feel like is exists exists in this world. Definitely. So, Brian, I reached out to Brian uh, I asked him to be on the show. He, you know, politely declined, and we had a talk because we uh, had not a back and forth on Twitter, but we had a discussion about things. And I do, you know, I respect him. Him and I talked a lot when we were at AP and we were working together. And he does have, you know, a wealth of knowledge of the scene, and he goes back qu- quite a ways with uh, the things that he's been involved with and the bands that he's helped document over the years so shout out to brian Um, and also like everything he does i believe you know does it with the right intentions yeah yeah definitely definitely i don't think that i when i said the thing about how this has negativity so much like i don't think he was trying to like I don't take offense. Yeah, I don't take offense to it. I just, in my humble opinion, Mm -hmm. like it wasn't meant to be something negative. Which I think that's where, when you're talking about why we did this and like maybe the way some people view what we're doing, is that they they see us as like trying to be negative or trying to like tear people down or make fun of or whatever it may be. And maybe sometimes (laughs) you. you tyler sharp border on that taking some joy and taking the piss out of the scene but as far as like editorial stuff that's going to go on the site that's different than a tweet we're like we're trying to to make no no one's like 
taking track of this or not. You know how hard it is to find information about any bands? Like when we go to talk about them and I'm like trying to dig something up, it's so hard to find, like nearly impossible just because no one is talking about this anymore. Right. Like trying to look back on it and figure out what right. went wrong. There's no... Or maybe nothing went wrong. Right. There's no history book, and not right. that we're trying to write a history book, no. but I think it's important to document this stuff because there are people who still care about it, and we've right. proved it with, with this show and with our fucking Facebook page. But I definitely pump the gas a lot on a lot of things that I do. I'll and work on the Tyler Sharp take-down I- <laughs> piece coming soon. <laughs> Let's go. Take me down. But I stand by everything that I've ever tweeted, and... <laughs> I <laughs> I do, and I, you know, I'm not going to take back any of it, but I do understand where people are coming from and why they feel the way that they feel, and I know that they're going to feel that way. That's half the reason why I tweet what I do. So this is what it is. At the end of the day, Drugs is back in 2020, and we got a new song, and, I, you know, there's no other you band. <laughs> I was talking with Matt on the phone the other night, and we were like, that's it. That's the last band, you know? It's Tom and Blink. That's the last thing. Right. But as far as bands coming back, there's nothing else. You got you got the three. You never thought you'd get drugs from first to last with Sonny and MCR. It, it's time to fill in the landfill. <laughs> it's time to fill it back in. <laughs> this is it. This is the last one. But so... To wrap up the Craig and Drugs talk, Craig is recording an album. He's working on it. He's writing it. As of right now, there is no one else involved in the creation of it besides him or or writing the songs. Um, You can definitely hear it in the new song. I'm at about a 6 out of 10 on it. But you can definitely, you know, realize and acknowledge that the Matt Good magic is not yeah. there, and it it's it's missing that post-hardcore magic that the first Drugs album took and made into, like, a rock radio-ready sound, but... What I, does Matt Good think? I'd like to hear it. I like, want to know. I want to know what Matt Good Why aren't you involved if... Are you going to get involved? I don't know. My... I... I mean, we talked about this. I don't think anyone from the past drugs will be involved. Which, without uh, without Matt Good, I just don't... Yeah. It's not going to be as good as it once was. And I don't... I mean, I don't think people should expect it to be, considering all the circumstances mm-hmm. of, you know, the scene and where it's at right now. I think Craig... I won't stick my foot in my mouth there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, we got this back. He's writing an album... It will come out at some point. He does have plans to take it on tour and perform live. Um, you know, How long we'll has see... it been since Craig Owens has been on tour? He went on tour last year okay. with Bad Channels. Um, some EDM project called Getter, I think it was called, took him out. And they were with another act, too. And they performed, like, I think one night they performed, like, a Chiodo song with Craig. Okay. And uh, so... He has been on tour. He does all the emo night shit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot we could unpack about Craig and his mentality and exactly how he's navigated the scene and, and his whole trajectory. But save for another three-hour episode. Maybe one day <laughs> Craig will come and talk to you and tell his I would love story. it. Craig, come on the show. I, I, I would love it. So for the second half of this show, I wanted to unpack... Craig and drugs on the first half, but the second half, I wanted to do a listener question breakdown because I've had a lot of people write in and we've done a lot of marathons lately of MCR and all time low. You also promised it and lied because you're a liar. So you get half of what was promised. (laughs) Listen, I have a lot on my plate. (laughs) I'm trying my best. (laughs) doing my best. I'm doing my best to always get this show out every single week, and it is incredibly difficult, but I don't want it to go back to the way that it was where we were dropping like two episodes a month. So we're going to break down some listener questions. First one is from listener David. He writes in, Hot Mulligan. Any thoughts? I hate modern pop punk, but this is God-tier music. Think it'll go anywhere? I'm very excited to talk about Hot Mulligan right now. <laughs> that's that's why I put it as the first one. Let's go. So 
You know way more about this band than I do. I was not at ground level for them. I literally, today, when I was listening through their albums, was the first time I listened to more than, like, one Hot Mulligan song in one sitting. I just heard him listening to it, and he hadn't sent me what the questions were. Also, he didn't send me the outline for this episode until we were beginning recording it, just so everyone knows. But Again, trying my best. I heard Tyler listening to Hot Mulligan, and I was like, that's weird, because he's always listening to, like, Sad Butt Rock or Country or that freaking Co. Wetzel song, February 28th, whatever. I've heard about 100,000 times. Actually, he listened to the new Lil Uzi Vert song, I'm not kidding you, probably 25 times in that a row. That shit is flames. Go stream that shit right now. It samples of Backstreet Boys. It's got a song called like They Laugh samples. At Me Because I'm Emo. I Killed My Girlfriend Because That's Why I'm Single. So, Let's yeah. go. I heard that at least 30 times today. Uh, but before that, Tyler was listening to Hot Mulligan and I was like, that's weird. I sent him a message and I was like, are you listening to Hot Mulligan right now? So then he sent me the questions and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Anyway, yes, I want to hear your thoughts on Hot Mulligan because oh, like you God. said, you're not a big fan. Okay, so I you're not, did you're not a fan, my but you first, had to listen. Right, right. I hadn't done the dive and I did a very brief dive today and I listened to about 10 songs back to back to back. It was completely on shuffle throughout their whole category. I appreciate singers who realize that they cannot sing <laughs> and just want to yell. <laughs> that that is... I appreciate that so much. I am absolutely calling out neck deep right now. <laughs> Go back to yelling, you cannot sing, Ben. That being said, I think Hot Mulligan is a fun, young pop punk band. I can't re- even remember the name of the first song that I listened to. It's their biggest, it's their top number one song on Spotify right now. How do you, right not, how do you got, know it's not Armadillo Shells? Uh, uh, that might be it. But it's the one with like the electronic beats behind it throughout mm-hmm. most of the song. And then the rest of it comes in like full band later on. I thought that was a super interesting proposition for, you know, oh, modern pop punk. And I enjoyed that as a new kind of take on what you can do with it. Overall, I, there's just other things I would listen to besides right. this band to get what they offer mm-hmm. out of it. But I think the songs are solid. And I will say, like, those Spotify streams, they're good. Like, they have multiple songs over 2 million, mm-hmm. quite a few over a million. Um, I like that they're just dropping Lucy's and not just, you know, an they do album, have an album two coming years. Out. Do they? Um, okay. I think it's coming out next week. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, so, which is what some of the songs you were listening to were from that. Got album. you. They're new got ones. You. Okay. So, yeah, I think this is a, f- you know, if you're into new wave pop punk, definitely check th- these guys out. I'm actually, I know their drummer, Brandon Blakely. I haven't talked to him in years, but I went on tour with him one time. Um, and great guy. So I'm glad that he has gotten some momentum with this band. And I believe he's also in another band that I can't remember the name of right now, but just a smaller pop punk band. Okay. Um, So Hot Mulligan, I feel like fall into a very specific brand of pop punk that sways more emo. So it's like the free throws and heart attack man, which I've been kind of obsessed with lately. Um, Shout out to Twitter. But I think... Hot Mulligan are kind of on the sa- that same tier with Heart Attack Man, where like they have enough personality on socials and they genuinely write really good songs that are, you know, like I love an upbeat song that's actually like extremely dark and sad and lyrical content. <laughs> that's like my thing. Um, that's Rebob's brand. So that's what they do, and I think that this is like, like you said, it's a they're they're a great example of a young band in that genre. And I think the question was like, do you think it's going to go anywhere? And I mean, it already is going somewhere. You just mentioned their streams. They just they, their new song, which is a banger, the Quip Sunglasses. They had a Billboard premiere, which is a good look for them. Like again, we've Definitely. talked about this. We're like. People that are reading Billboard don't, you know what I mean? Like they just aren't, it's not, it's probably not pulling them a ton of numbers regardless of how big Billboard is, but mm-hmm. it's a really good look for them. Sure. Um, so I think, like, yes, it is going somewhere. Are they going to be on the freaking Billboard Hot 100? No, no, probably, like no. <laughs> but they write awesome songs. They have like a good dedicated fan base. I saw, I haven't seen them in a while. 
Um, I'm not going to say who else played this show, but the order of the show was backwards. Hot Mulligan were like the first opener. I think they were one of four. They had the biggest crowd, went off the hardest, and then like everyone left. And as we got to the headliner, there was like maybe 20 people left. That's so funny. Um, but they have the the fans to back it up. It's not just like they're streaming right. and no one's right. actually like going to their shows. Mm-hmm. The people are super into them. They have... Like I said, they got the personality. I'm I I'm excited for them. I think that that scene in general, that like like I said, the the more emo leaning pop punk is pretty healthy right now. Like it's again, it's not gonna none of these bands are gonna blow up, but right. like they all tour. Like you could see them rotate on tour. What bands are together, and you know they can sell out like smaller size venues and then sell merch and. Mm-hmm. Like they're doing fine. These they figured out a way to make a living off of music. So I think that's like the best we can ask. But I think Hot Mulligan are like outpacing all of those bands just a little Which bit. Which is interesting. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And shout out to these completely random song titles. I want I love every them. band to bring them back. <laughs> all you wanted you by Michelle Branch. I knew you were. That's awesome. I remember, because they premiered it on AP, right? right? And then Michelle Branch, like, yes. actually added them, yes. and they were like, I don't get it. <laughs> That's yeah. what she said. She's like, I don't understand. Um, but every band should like bring that crab, back. Feel like crab, F-E-A-L, like, Right, what? exactly. That's one of the newer ones, I think. Yeah. How do you know it's not armadillo shells? I love it. That's great. But every band should take note of Hot Mulligan and even more so Heart Attack Man, which you mentioned about yes. their social media presence and I how far it can take media. you as a band. Right. I get it. All Any rock musician, the only thing they want to do is play their guitar. That's <laughs> it. And they don't want to do any interviews. They don't want to do any press. They don't want to do anything outside of making music and they're boring as hell. Okay. All it takes is a little bit of effort on social media and it will send your band miles and miles down the road. Right. So... Okay, moving Listen on. Listen to Heart Attack Man. Listen to Heart Attack Man. Rabob's official note to scene cosign. Uh, moving on. Good afternoon, Tyler and guests. I just wanted to say I'm very happy to have the podcast back. I wanted to know what you think the future might hold for real friends after their third album did not further their career. Daniel. <laughs> Savage, Daniel. So, Daniel, this is actually a pretty old question. Uh, it was asked and sent in before. His name's Dan, right? Dan. Lampton, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I totally spaced for a second. Too many Daniels and Dans going on. Damn but Daniel. After Damn Daniel left Real Friends. So, Real Friends is so interesting as a band because I was, they come from the suburbs of Chicago. They would play Northwest Indiana all the time, which is where I'm from. And I saw them and Knuckle Puck way before they got, like, actual momentum outside of this little local bubble. And to see the hype that they once had and for it to completely just revert after they basically dropped their first full-length album was wild to watch. Because there was a time where Real Friends was the next pop-punk band. I, I think that we have to, like, look at it from like a business perspective for a moment and here's how it works kids that are all in bands that want to be signed break it down right like of you they made a local scene like real friends knuckle puck you know that chicago scene um and they're playing like house shows and it's super fucking cool and like they're getting all this hype they're selling merch and they're like as you get bigger and bigger and you make your local scene something and then a record label can look at that and be like, well, if that's what they can do on their own with nothing, then we can we can make some money from this. And that's how it happens. Like, I don't, everyone thinks like, oh, I wrote really good songs. No one fucking cares about your songs. A record label <laughs> wants to make money. That's literally why they exist. Like They don't care what you buy as long as you buy it from them. Right. Like, the naivety that goes in it and they're like, <laughs> people are just like, I mean, I've been slogging it out and I'm writing amazing songs. Like, good for you. No one gives a fuck about you. Did your anyone art. buy it? Are people <laughs> streaming it? Like, why would a record label want it? Like, that's not, that's just not how it works. Exactly. They want to see that you're able to sell shows like sell out shows and sell merch and do all of right. this stuff on your own before they're willing to take on what is a risk mm-hmm. and try and sell you to a wider audience it's business kids it's... uh so real friends i think like they did that <laughs> shout out to charlotte she's throwing in her two cents on real friends that's my cat <laughs> <laughs> 
She's just present. Charlotte with her first note to scene feature. There she is. So that's what Real Friends did. They built up that momentum. Um, they were on Fearless the whole time, right? Or no, before no, because no, they were on. when they built all their hype, that was their big thing was that they refused to sign to a label. Right. They had offers from every label in mm. the scene, and they chose Fearless for their first full length. I still even think that that uh, Late Nights in My Car song, I can't remember what EP that's off of. I think they put that out independently too. Okay, so yeah, they I'm sure recognize that that's you know what's going to happen with the labels. They're going to maybe take you to the next level, but if they do, it's not like it's so that they can make you some more money and also make themselves money. That's again, that's, that's the point. The point of this. <laughs> um Fearless signs them and then after that, like I don't know, like the whole magic of Real Friends is that it feels like your thing. And like you, you play. I think the same thing is kind of like where Knocked Loose is, where it's like you're like, mm. why don't they just sign to a bigger late? Like, why mm-hmm. aren't they on Roadrunner right mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. But I think in their heads, like I don't know, like that might not be good for them. Maybe it would. I don't know. Yeah. But part of their magic is that it feels like a small thing that you're a part of, right? And right. with Real Friends went and like tried to branch out of that, like. I mean, you were listening to the On the Outside song. I think that's a good song. I did. There were songs off of the last Real Friends album right. that I were like, okay, this is coherent pop punk. This is coherent <laughs> pop punk. I mean, they, they did write good songs, but I don't... Uh, I You're just, right. There was a community sentiment shift and we when lost, they signed. We lost a little bit of that. And they tried... They continued to do things where they would do, like, the $5 shows, right. and they still played smaller venues, and, like... If that's where their career lives and thrives, like I think it's fine Just to embrace do that. that. Yeah, right, exactly. So, the when they dropped their first full length in 2014, maybe this place is the same, and we're just changing it. I think musically. That was the first misstep for them because a lot of people didn't gravitate towards those songs the way they did those first EPs. And I do think to an extent that them signing to a label and being part... Right, exactly. They were like, whether or not you admit it or address it in your own, you know, personal headspace... Putting a, 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 a record label label on a band does have some effect on your sentiment towards right. them. Right, and it doesn't maybe doesn't feel like it's yours anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's bigger it's than... It's part of the machine now. Right, it's bigger than the space that you always envisioned that they would exist in. And, you know, that being said, I think the record musically was also a very big letdown. I think if they would have came out and wrote the next, you know wrote a record as good as Take This to Your Grave, which is what people thought they, they were going to do and the pedestal that they had put them on, then I think a lot would be different for them. But, mm. you know, they came out, I think they did around 7,000 first week, and ever since then it's just been completely downhill, and I think the last one did under 2,000 first week. So they are existing in a very, very small space. Dan is no longer in the band. I have no idea what the future holds for, I mean, so many questions. Like, what What are they going to do? I'm genuinely, this is not, I'm not trying to throw shade at them. I'm genuinely curious, why would you delete everything on your socials? Like, what is the point of that? There was some behind the scenes shit that went on, I'm sure, between members and a lot of inner turmoil that we don't know about. Sure. I think there was some rash decisions made on sure. the side of a member or multiple members where some wanted it to end, some didn't, one, you know, whatever happened, we don't know. But I think there were some unfortunate casualties along the way as far as and their I online I think at goes. some point we'll find out. Yeah. Especially if, okay, so here's in my head what could happen is like, do they get a new singer and reform and come back as real friends with someone else. That's an option. One of them to like just just sing now instead. Right. Um, or just nothing. Like don't come back at all. Right. Like, th- that's those are what happens. So if they decide to come back and try to do a big push and maybe have like someone else that's like a pretty prominent person in pop punk. They, like, right. If they could grab a vocalist from another band. Yeah, right. I mean that creates inherently some more hype behind it. They're never gonna be as big as they once were Which or is, build why that did momentum you delete back up. Everything in ten years, if anyone is talking <laughs> about real friends. They're gonna be talking about that era, and it's just they have no timeline now. Yeah, you gotta. Why did you do that, guys? Someone tell me. You gotta go back through the Facebook event pages. I dug up a flyer not too long ago where they opened for Sworn In and 
there was another local Chicago like heavy deathcore metalcore band and I god I cannot remember what their name was but they were like a super super cool band to like from the Chicago area God I hate that phrase <laughs> <laughs> The super super cool band to like in like 2013 from the Chicago area and I cannot remember what it was but they used to play these house shows and you're right it has so much to do with that community and that what they built before they became quote unquote part of the machine and that that's super interesting to see how much that still turns kids off because Mackenzie and I talked about on last episode about all time low and how sellouts the term doesn't really <laughs> exist anymore but there is still that pack mentality of like when you're at ground level for a band mm-hmm. in specific spaces such as pop punk when it becomes more part of your typical cycles and label e type stuff, the sentiment does change behind it. So that's interesting too. But they're also getting more removed from the band members themselves, right? Because yeah, they there's become a publicist in, a separate in between space. it, right? Yeah. And so like yeah. a lot happens. Like a stuff, things do change. Yeah. Um, so it's not like you're. It's just oh, a pack mentality. A lot of it is that, but like. Genuinely, there is some change in a band from the time that they are, like, playing your local house show to when they're, like, becoming an arena band. Like, that's not an often thing we see here. You're not Fall Out Panic anymore. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. No, super interesting. No, that will definitely be an episode in the future. So, moving on. Next question. Hey, Tyler. So glad Note to Scene is back up and running. I just wanted to get your opinion on new music from Silverstein. I've been having a lot of fun with these three songs. Anyways, thanks for continuing the podcast. There was definitely a void when you guys took a break, and it's wonderful to have you back, Drew. First off, thank you so much. That means the world to me, and uh, I'm so glad that... Drew, you're taking the time to listen. So these new Silverstein songs, they dropped three of them. They all have features, which is interesting. Yes. They dropped Burn It Down featuring Caleb Shomo, Infinite featuring Aaron Gillespie, and Bad Habits featuring Intervals. So first off, Bad Habits bad is habits. by far the best song out of the three. <laughs> not even on the same level the, as right, the, the other There's two. not a competition. That song is like probably the best Silverstein song that has been released in... You know, the last five years. I say it's the last, <laughs> at least the last two albums. Yeah, for sure. It is a straight up pullback so. from their early years while, you know, sounding like they're recording music in 2020, right. which is at this point. They pulled that off so well. It was, it's seamless. Like it feels like there's still so much energy left in this band. You have what you loved from the old sound, but it sounds like they're grown ass dudes playing this. Music yeah, it's now. like they, they figured out what so many bands it's like literally what you and Mackenzie were talking yep. about last week with so yep. many bands like struggle to find where they want to do something different or sound different but at the same time like exist and make music and they have a group of fans that they need to serve that you know mm-hmm. have expectations and I like they are nailing it right now I haven't heard the full album yet um and we actually are going to do an interview with that with them um and talk about this pretty nice. much is basically like you know about the features why add the features and then also like how do you write music that's still Silverstein while not just doing the same exact thing that you've done right for exactly years. and I think the other two songs are their attempt to branch out from not just being a post hardcore band in 2020 I think they miss the mark a lot very disappointed that Aaron gets like three lines in his song <laughs> I think if you wanted to do the throwback post-hardcore song, you'd do it with Aaron, you know, just throwing that out there. But Burn It Down feels like... And, and Silverstein and Beartooth have a very, like, long history together where they performed as Silvertooth and right. <laughs> whatever all that was. So that Whatever was, all that was. <laughs> an iconic Warped Tour moment, Tyler. Okay, whatever. I was checked out at that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's when Tyler took a break from the scene. You have to. You have to. Got really into emo hip-hop when that was happening. <laughs> I also did. But I still worked at AP. <laughs> So uh, that song is kind of like a a straightforward, more rocky side of Silverstein. Infinite with Aaron has a very much more side of uh, electronic influence and Bad Habits is the post-hardcore banger. So at the end of the day, Silverstein has kind of always been that reliable band that makes music that their fans kind of love regardless. Mm -hmm. And they have been able to deliver time and time again especially after kind of 
you know, they went through that weird phase towards like 2010 to 2013. They released like a punk album called like Short Songs and that like really threw everyone for a loop because post-hardcore fans just don't want any of that shit. But they, in 2013, they released an album called This Is How The Wind Shifts and that was definitely, it was a bit of a concept album, but there was a lot of old school Silverstein magic that they brought back into the fray. And then they came to Rise in 2015, which was a crazy move. And I remember talking to friends about it back then, how crazy it was to see Silverstein on Rise Records. But they released an album called I Am Alive and Everything I Touch. And I can't remember exactly what the lead single was. I think it was a Midwestern state of emergency, but whatever that first single was, it had people like holy shit like Silverstein is back and those dudes are like post hardcore goats and then they released Dead Reflection in 2017 and that had more of like a pop not pop but like the rock radio side of things and I fucking called it on this show when the Afterglow came out I was like that is the song that is such a good song that is the song and it's their top song besides Infinite right now on Spotify it has 14 million streams bangers are bangers bangers are bangers they talk for themselves You, you could hear that song in like not even realize that it's not like it's new right you know like totally. it sounds it's like it totally. could fit anywhere and there was another song on that on that album i think uh i think it's called ghost that i was also pretty obsessed with like there were some yep. genuinely great songs on yep. that album. i think that was the one that reminded me of like earlier story of the year and they've like like you said they just cons- they're consistent they consistently they do they experiment they like throw in a couple of mm-hmm. little elements of other things that they want to mm. you know see how it goes which yeah. is cool yeah. but they always still sound like Silverstein. yeah and you know that's why some bands can continue to yeah have a career and tour and release music and sell merch and some go out into the (laughs) great unknown and really shut it down for themselves. And I do tend to leave them out of the conversation of bands that survived when the scene fell apart behind them. And and I will definitely not from here on out after having this conversation and kind of breaking it down. Because I always bring up the main and every time I die in August Burns Red. But Silverstein definitely fits into that category too. They really held it down for post-hardcore. Also, they're just like genuinely nice people. Like, I've, I've never met, met them, them a few times and like, you know, you when you you interact with a lot of bands, you would not believe how many of them just act <laughs> like ridiculous. And you're like, I would love to you to recognize that you played a, you're in a pop punk band, you played a 500 people max <laughs> a night. I need you to chill with your ego. But then there's some bands and Silverstein are one of them where like every time I've met them, they've just been so polite and like you interview them and they're like thanking you so much for it. I'm like, dude, like they're just doing my job. It's fine. It's but wholesome just, as hell. Yeah, they like go out of their way to, to make sure you know that they appreciate what you're doing for them. Good. So good. thank this... you, Silverstein, for being nice and releasing good music yeah. and carrying the torch for post-hardcore. Totally. Shout out to Silverstein. Uh, I just, I don't have another question, but I wanted to read this one from a listener. Her name's Sarah. She's from Australia, and this was probably my favorite email I've ever gotten (laughs) for the show. No questions, but I just want to read through it. She says, hey, Tyler, thank you so much for bringing Note to Scene back. As if you would leave me hanging on how our favorite bands are struggling these days. No questions this email. I just wanted to spitball some ideas. A mate of mine runs Australia's equivalent of Emo Night. It's called AMPM. Check that shit out. He would have some cool insight, the rise and fall of emo here, and how he rebuilt a healthy scene again. A lot of places have tried and failed. I know they aren't big in the U.S., but Trophy Eyes, Tonight Alive, The Amity Affliction, Devil Wears Prada, Parkway Drive, etc. have all played parts in it. Parkway Drive are pretty big in the U.S. They are the one that really has had crossover. And, you know, back in the mid-2000s, they were considered, like, that was a very significant metalcore name back in the day and they've evolved into like they make arena metalcore now right. which is a dope sound also trophy as if you don't talk about that song that i've had to hear you play eight thousand times it's so good i'm, I'm not gonna unpack it too much right now because i want to get through this but that's go go cop that new trophy's eyes song holy shit here we are in 2020 and they dropped a fucking banger holy shit shout out shout out to saxophone and pop punk 
Every band should be doing that. Uh, she continues, please make a Spotify playlist for Note to Scene. I find myself listening to the band's songs discussed each episode and then back to the pod and then back to the songs. I think some of us elderly 30-year-olds need a refresher. Also, a playlist means we can listen to some recommendations you bring up. I definitely want to do this. I made one way, way back in the day when we started it and I completely forgot about it until you, you wrote this question in. So I will definitely start making that again and base it around the episodes and other stuff that uh Rabob and I are listening to and she continues where is my Avril Lavigne podcast <laughs> what's your favorite conspiracy about her I'm pretty sure she was a member of Barrier Dead <laughs> all the round of applause for that one I sent this to Finn uh this morning before we recorded it and he had a good laugh out of it that I I haven't kept the bury your dead joke up as much as I would want to but you don't yes. have to Sarah is here to handle <laughs> Sarah it is here thank you Sarah to continue the bury your dead joke definitely Avril Lavigne was a member of bury your dead I don't know what my let's favorite... add that to the Wikipedia <laughs> we should go do it Guys, right check now the Wikipedia. <laughs> so I don't have a favorite conspiracy about her but one that I have it this isn't a conspiracy but one thing that I keep coming back to Avril in 2019 and 2020 is how fucking much Travis from We The Kings comments on her photos on Instagram. Travis, Everyone. stop. It's every time. He did. I know you I wrote know if, with her. I, saying, I don't know if you know, but he wrote I a know, song with her. I know. I li- listen, I listened to the album. I was there at midnight when it came out. I am here for Avril. Forever stand, first celebrity crush. I am there to support her in any way she needs, but Travis, stop. Leave Avril alone. Leave her alone, please. She does not reply to you or interact with any of your comments. Anyways, she continues. Thanks for chatting about the scene, Tyler. If you ever need weird stories about doing shrooms with Christopher Drew, hit me up. We need them. Thanks for everything. Much love, Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much. This email brought a lot of joy. Brought so much joy to me the day that you wrote it in and it looks like I'm going to have to reply and ask you about we doing need, shrooms with Christopher Drew. We need to know that. We also need to find out about her friend who runs AMPM because I think that's an interesting uh, thing that I've talked with you about before but apparently the scene in Australia is actually thriving. Actually thriving and it's completely different. They're than living in alternate here. universe to us. Literally. We need to get some guests from Australia and see how it feels. Literally. To- you know, even back in the day when A Day to Remember would co-headline with Amity on tours in Australia, I was like, damn, I wonder what it's like over there. Like, it feels like a completely different world. Right. And yeah, I would love to unpack all of that because there is there are the other scene spaces. Is going, the note to scene goes down under. We need to plan <laughs> no, a trip. We're gonna go to under. Australia. There will be pictures of me and oh, Tyler hugging God. koalas. <laughs> note to scene down under. Come on, I'm I'm all about it. But thank you all for everyone who has ever written into the show. I still have more questions, so I'm still gonna bring them up. We might do half and half episodes more often so we could talk more about other bands the way we have on this episode. But still fleshing it out ideas. If you have any questions whatsoever about anything, please write them in at notetoscene at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please go give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. Our entire back catalog is on Spotify right now. Thank you everyone so much for listening to the show, reading the website, contributing in any way as a fan to any of this. Rabob and I really, really appreciate it. But until next week, I will talk to you then. Bye.